Lord. Thank you so much for being with us this morning from wherever you're at. And uh, you know, there's always blessings that flow in the midst of the storm. And we would never understand the sovereignty and power of God unless we needed to come out of the storm. So I want today to especially take a journey together. And uh, I'm going to try to make this a brief journey, even though it's a lot of data and material, and I'm going to rely upon you to follow up yourself. You can go back on, replay this, and I believe it will take you to a journey in a place that maybe some of you have not experienced Jesus like this before. I sent out a, a little note uh, yesterday, in fact, and I want to read it because it was so anointed as I was seeking the Lord, and uh, I had been seeking Him since early in the morning, and about, oh, maybe about the third uh, watch the night, boom, it broke forth. And uh, this is what it says. It says, I want to feel, really feel my Jesus like never before. Let me stop for a moment and say this, that we are a complicated creation of God. We're creatures. And we have a spirit, and we have a soul, and we have a body. We have flesh. And our soul has passion, and our soul feels things, and it responds to senses. And then when our spirit is in tune with our soul, amazing things happen in the spiritual realm that manifest to us here on earth within this complicated being who we are. So listen to this a moment. I said, I want to feel. I want to really feel my Jesus. I ask you, wherever you're at, let that be a prayer at this moment. It's a simple prayer. It's not a very religious prayer, is it? In fact, some theologians would say we shouldn't even talk about feelings, but the Lord has feelings, and we're going to experience that together with him. I want to feel, I want to really feel my Jesus. I want to discern him with you. I want to weep with tears of appreciation as we fellowship together in his sufferings. And is it at all possible, ask yourself, that we might sense even just a wisp of his pain and anguish that he suffered as we trace his steps to the cross? How our hearts sink together as we see the vision of the innocent and gentle sacrificial lamb of God being nailed to that cross. We cry out in anguish with him and we cry out and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? As we sink then into the deep abyss of the darkest death of hell. But then, at that moment, at that spoken moment, that moment defined in all of creation, when our Savior saves. In a sudden rush, and in the power of His resurrection, unlike anything that was known to mankind before or since, we swell up with life. And we rejoice together with the Spirit and bask in the glory of the Lord as we erupt in resurrection from the death of hell. We hear the angels shouting with matchless joy that He is risen. He is risen. Our Lord is risen. And then we explode with a surge of new creation strength and our inner beings are swelled with the glory of God. This morning, he's calling us to that unique and special communion. A communion that's just beyond a regular communion, but one that literally communes with Christ. Christ on the cross, Christ before the cross, Christ descending, Christ arisen. Christ forevermore. Just so you don't think that I've gone off the edge, 
And I know there are some who love to test me according to the Scripture, and I like that because we believe in building everything on a firm foundation of the Word, but yet we don't suppress a fresh revelation. I'd like us to just consider what was written in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 4. I want to read it because this essentially, I believe, was the vision that Paul received. You see, Paul had a download, unlike anybody else before or thereafter, of the mysteries and revelations of God. And he's the one that understood that the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Christ are our journey too. I believe Paul, in a very prophetic way, just as we're about to, took this journey. He wrote... When we were baptized into his death, we were placed into the tomb with him. As Christ was brought back from death to life by the glorious power of the Father, so we too should live a new kind of life. And if we become united with him in death like this, he certainly, we will be also united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And we know that the person we used to be was crucified with him. And we put an end to the sin in our bodies. It's gone. Because of this, we are no longer slaves to sin. A spiritual journey, baptized with him into his death, risen with him in his resurrection. Now, you can choose not to take that journey, but you might just be superficial in your understanding of what Resurrection Sunday really means to us. One of my favorite of all scriptures comes out of another Pauline epistle. It struck me like an arrow through my flesh many years back. And it also led me to understand this prophetic journey of his death, his crucifixion, his dissension, his rising, and his ascension. Paul said this. He wrote it to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 10, and it's as if it's a prayer. And I believe he prayed it often himself, especially in bonds and wondering why he was suffering as he was. And he said that I might know him that I might know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection and to fellowship or to participate in his sufferings, becoming or conforming like him in his death. Wow, what a prayer. Interesting that we need to grasp and comprehend that God is dealing in the eternal spirit. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that who through the eternal spirit he offered himself without spot to God. So we understand that all of this, all of this was compressed and expanded through the eternal spirit of God. It wasn't just an historical moment. It's a living moment, even as Christ is living. I asked an early question when I was first saved because it was confusing to me. I didn't understand, really understand the power of the blood of Christ. I just knew that the, the blood of sacrifices wasn't getting it for me because I tried that. I knew that it brought me no peace and no relationship with the Father. In fact, it separated me every time. And in His grace, rather than waiting for me to understand the fullness of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. He just introduced himself to me. He spoke it to me. He said, I am. I'm the one. And then began my pursuit. And then I began to hear things from people, believers, whether they were Messianic or Christian. And one of the things I heard him say was that, well, he died for my sins. And I thought, that's wonderful, but he died about 2,000 years ago, 
And at that time, I was only 28 years old. I mean, yes, I had 28 years of sins, but 28 from 2000 is a lot of years in between. How did he die for my sins 2,000 years ago when I had not yet been born? I didn't understand original sin, and I'm not going to expound on that today. It's more important that we understand our personal sins and how he, through the eternal spirit, was a sacrifice to cleanse them and wash them away. It wasn't until I read that scripture that he purged through the eternal spirit that I then said, Lord, now I got it. You're not confined by time. You're not in time. Time is in you. You're in the past. You're in the present. You're in the future. You're in a different dimension, but yet you visit us in this dimension in somehow, some way that only you could as the eternal God. You took all the sins of the world and you laid it upon the Lamb of God, your Son. And so you took the sins that were, that are, and that shall be of all of mankind. And in that moment, you compressed them, but yet you expanded them through the eternal spirit. And he truly did die for my sins. Not just categories of sins. I remember once I was blessed in some days past to be teaching at a Bible college in Miami. And I was very honored because I got the advanced students. And I was teaching out of the book of Hebrews and I touched upon that scripture which had so much meaning to me. And so I turned around to my class early in the morning and I wrote it on the blackboard. And I said, I'm gonna erase that now. And what I'd like you to do is one by one, I'd like you to come up and begin to name sins. And surely enough, it became a category of sins. Oh, we all know categories of sins. There's so many of them, aren't they? And they, they break into subcategories. They start with the Ten Commandments. They go through the laws of Moses. We understand it through Galatians. We understand it through our spirit. So many sins. And yet they became categories. And as I suspected they would, they became so proud of themselves that they were beginning to put them into straight categories. I let those sit, and I told them, look at those, and in our next class, I want you to tell me what you think. Well, when they came back, they said, yes, he died for adultery. Yes, he died for fornication. Yes, he died for gossip and cheating and murder and thieving and on and on when all of the things that he died for. But then I said to them, was it categories of sins that he died for? Or was it your sins that he died for? And I said, now I'm not going to ask you to go up and put check marks by each one of your sins. I'm going to draw in the sand and say, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone. I said, and I'm not going to put my check marks by the board either. It might fill up that board quite a bit. I said, but he died for our sins. How did he do it? He did it because it was through the eternal spirit. You see, he can't be your personal savior if he didn't die for your personal sins. And it can't just be something that's mental. I know some have been taught, and some have even had issues with my teaching and other teachings that say, who is he that ascended, but that he first ascended? But yet David saw it clearly in the Psalms. Psalm 88, read it yourself. Psalm 88 describes the spiritual agony of Christ in hell. Psalm 22 describes the physical agony from the cross to hell. Psalm 22 starts off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Crying out on the cross. But Psalm 88 says, I'm encompassed about by dogs and wolves who are eating away at me. I'm lost. 
My voice is not heard. I'm in the darkest depths of the deepest hell. You see, Christ did deal physically on the cross, but he had to deal spiritually with our sins. If not, then we're back in the law. Just categories of sins. Promise me that doesn't work. You get frustrated. But when you grasp the eternal Christ and the fact that the eternal Father placed upon the head of the Lamb of God the sins of the world, you see, God fulfills his law. It takes the high priest to put the hands upon the scapegoat or upon the lamb for the forgiveness of sins. And with Jesus on the cross, there was only one high priest left whose hands were holy, the Father. Which one of you could put your hands on your child? and say, I'm going to kill you for everybody else's sins that you never performed. Abraham shuddered. He took his firstborn, his promise. God took his firstborn, his promise. Abraham raised his knife. His son cried out, Father, where is the lamb? I don't know if Abraham really meant it from faith or not, but what he said was the Father will provide one. And before he could take and strike his son, the Lord provided the lamb. But this time, the strike didn't stop. The Father struck his son. And Jesus gave himself up on that cross. I was in a wonderful conversation with a friend on the phone two days ago, Good Friday. I didn't realize what the time was. I'm not gonna mention his name because this was private, but he's a formidable force in the kingdom of God worldwide. He put a demand on me for a prophetic word and I chuckled when he did two weeks ago, and I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not a vending machine prophet. You can't put a quarter in and get something out that's sweet. I said, and I can only say what the Lord tells me to say, and with all due respect, I don't seek him for a word for everybody. I'm just not that kind of an oracle of God. But the minute he did, a burden came upon me, and the burden grew and grew and grew, and it agitated me, and it kept me awake, and it finally burst out of me and we set a time not realizing what it was on Friday and when he called me for me to release the word it was three o'clock in the afternoon on Good Friday the sixth hour the hour that we're told of in the scriptures that Jesus Christ began to receive all the sins of the world upon him I could just see it in the vision. I want you to take that journey with me and feel it. Already in agony from having been beaten, 39 stripes across his body. Oh, they just weren't a normal whip, which is bad enough. It was a whip that had been engineered through centuries of torture. A whip that had fragments of metal in it nails in it, separated and made so that when it came across a body, it ripped flesh. And they kept ripping and ripping and ripping until the very fabric of his muscles and his nerves were torn. It wasn't enough. They crushed a thorn on his head. By that time, I'm not even sure that that pain mattered as much as the other pain to him. But the Son of God was bleeding profusely from many head wounds, and the blood soaked his body and matched the blood from his back. And by the time the torture was done, he was covered in blood, a massive flesh of blood. 
carried the part of his cross that was the ritual of the Romans as far as he could. And after some help, he got to that place at Golgotha. It's pretty well established that it was five-inch nails that went through a very specific place in his wrist. It wasn't just the hands, because that would tear open. It was in a place in the wrist where the bone and the muscle would hold it together with all the weight of the body pulling down. And the five-inch nails weren't enough to go through his feet. They used seven-inch nails. Not everybody was nailed to a cross. Some were hung. The agony of the cross is the glory for us. They mocked him, even as it said they would in Psalms 88 and 22. He was despicable. You couldn't look on him, as Isaiah said in 53. He had a thief on one hand and a thief on the other. Both who confessed that they'd done their crimes, but one who went down in history as the good thief. He chastised the other thief and said, why do you tell this man, why do you mock him and tell him if he's God to come off the cross? He's done nothing wrong, not like us. And then with a burst of faith, he cries out, I want to be with you. Take me. And Christ, in his moment of agony, just like he has for you and me always, has compassion. He responds to the simple faith of that call. Just like he responds to you and I when we cry out and say, Father, help me. Help me. I'm guilty. Help me. Some have taught wrong. They said, well, when he said, I say this to you today, you will be with me in paradise. They thought that that meant that day they would go to paradise. No, it's like me saying to you, I tell you today, we are going to go to Israel. The emphasis is after today, not before. I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Interestingly enough, when that thief died, he was waiting in paradise for Christ. Christ had something to do first, though. He had to descend into the deepest part of hell. He became the trophy of Satan and his evil kingdom. This, I have to tell you, I don't like it. Many people in their religious ways don't want to accept it. But he suffered in hell for my sins, for your sins. There is no justice without a punishment. God is sovereign, but God is a judge. People have a hard time that God judges evil and bad and that God could even judge evil on earth, let alone. Well, why even then worship Christ if we don't believe that there's a hell? Hell is the ultimate judgment. Christ had to pay the price. Christ had to fulfill the law. Christ was punished for my sins and for your sins. It wasn't just a trip in. I'd said a prayer. I think now as I look back on it, it was probably about 35 years ago. I'm getting mature. I'm not old, I'm mature. I earned this gray hair. I like it. People think I'm smart because I've got a little gray. I can be as dumb as there is, but a little bit of gray hair you get over. People think you have wisdom. I said this prayer about 35 years ago, and the Lord answered it. 
about five years ago. I forgot it. I said two of them that day. I remember clearly. He answered one that night and the next one five years ago. The one I answered was, Father, I want to know the fear of the Lord that I might never accept it. And I want to feel what my Lord felt in hell that I might never forget it. He answered the one and that's for another time. He showed me the fear of the Lord and to this day it's deep inside of me. It keeps me within my lane. It's forever in front of me. But five years ago, how many of you have ever had a word that's come upon you suddenly? Well, the whole world has had something suddenly now, haven't they? And I had this issue going on in my head for a while. And, you know, I just, I'm a strong man of faith. I just kept rebuking it and declaring God's healing me and I'm not going to give in to it. And it became louder and louder in my ear. And it became to the point it was so sensitive that even this kind of a voice would hurt me. And as I was ministering to our church in Miami, I had to hold my hand over my ear to keep the noise up because I couldn't take it and, and, and cotton wasn't enough. And finally I said, Lord, forgive me, but I gotta get something done about this. I'm becoming ineffective. I'm no longer able to minister as I should minister. So I was in my office in Doral, Florida. And I just went online and I looked for the closest audiologist, the closest ear, nose, and eye doctor. And when I looked, I saw the man's name, and it was Jewish, and I said, Jews make good doctors. <laughs> I'm going to go to this guy. So I called, and they asked me what was wrong, and I told them, and they said, that sounds very serious. We want you to come in tomorrow. I said, really? They said, oh, yes. So I went in, and his technicians and audiologists, they tended to me and they gave me a test and another test and an x-ray and he looked in my ears and they did all kind of things. And when he was done, he sat me down. And he said, what's going on in your head is very serious. I said, yes, it's bothering me. I can't hear too well. I want it out. He said, you have a tumor growing. It's pressing against your brain. It's pressing against your auditory nerve and soon it's going to hit your optic and you're going to lose sight in your left eye. It hit me like a sledgehammer. I stopped for a second and before I could think about it, graze, praise God. I said, no. He said, what? I said, no. I don't receive that. He goes, listen, I understand you're in denial. I said, you are absolutely correct. I don't receive that. Because God has a calling in my life, and I can't perform it if you cut out part of my brain. He said, well, do this, please. Tomorrow, I want you to get an MRI. And the next day, I want to have an appointment with you with the most skilled surgeon I know in Miami. Okay, I said, do it. Well, that morning, the next day, I went in and to speed up the story. I walked in for my MRI and the technician met me. She was nice, gentle. And she looked at this machine and she said, this is what you're going to go into. She said, this is an old one. If you want, most people don't last in there at all 20 minutes, let alone your 52 minutes because they want to do surgery. She said, maybe we should reschedule you for a, a newer one. I said, what's wrong with that one? She goes, people get afraid. I have to take them out early. They can't stay in there. I said, really? She said, yes. 
I said, how long? She goes, 52 minutes. I said, I'm thirsty. She said, I'll go get you water. I said, that's a good idea. She left, and I walked around that room, and I began to pray in the Spirit. And I began to bind demons. And I bound fear, and I bound anxiety, and I bound the, the fear of the unknown. And when she came back, I drank my water, and I said, let's go to it. And she said, I'm going to put this microphone so that you can cry out, and I'm going to talk to you. And any moment that you want out, just tell me out, and I will take you right out. She said, we've had some very bad experiences with people in there. They've gone cuckoo. Went in. Now I have an average nose, correct? Average nose, average nose. My nose was just pressing up against the top of that thing. And it was whirring and humming and and she's in my ear. Are you okay? I said, I'm good. Are you okay? She goes, yes, we're going to start. And I will talk you through this from time to time. I said, just get it on. And sure enough, within about 30 seconds after she started, all the voices and the demonic influences and the pressures began to try and come upon me. Because you see, so many people had spoken it and accepted it, it had a different dominion. So I did the only thing I could do. I cried out to the Lord and I began to recite Psalms 88 and then Psalms 23 in my spirit. And then I finally cried out. I said, Lord, get me out of here. She goes, do you want me to take you out? I said, shh, leave me alone. No, I'm, having, I'm talking to the Lord. Whatever you do, don't take me out. And this went on for about, I don't know how long, a little while, not long. And all of a sudden, I wasn't there anymore. I'm sure my body was, but I tell you, my spirit wasn't. He lifted me out of there. And I thought, if I were one to script how it should happen, then I should be looking down at myself, right? I mean, God took me out. There's my spirit. My body's there. I'm a spectator. But that's not what happened. He answered my prayer from 35 years ago. And I found myself way up high. There was some light between me and what I was looking at. But what I was looking down in was the darkest dark I'd ever seen. And as I looked down at it, I shuddered. I began to cry. And before I knew it, my spirit was crying out, Jesus, Jesus, come out. Come out, Jesus, come out. Take me out with you. Come out, come out. This went on for a while, an intercession. And then finally, she broke in. She said, I'm taking you out now. 52 minutes went by, it seemed like a second. I came out the other side. I got up and sat up straight, and she looked at me, and she began to stagger backwards. She goes, my God, what happened to you in there? I said, it was wonderful. I was celebrating that he saved me 2,000 years ago. I was celebrating that I came out with him. I was celebrating that once again, he redeemed me. She said, you're glowing. I don't know what happened. Maybe, I don't know, did, did I make a mistake? You're glowing, you're red. I said, no, no, dear. That's the glory of the Lord. I went back to my office. I read Isaiah 53. By his stripes, you are healed. And he took the afflictions of all. Never before had it dawned on me that before he did away with the sin, he first 
of all did away with the disease. It had passed me by. I'd read it so many times. I preached it. It's very messianic. It's, it's the scripture from Isaiah, like a sheep to the slaughter. And although I'd said it before and preached it before, I don't know that I meant it with the same enthusiasm I did then, but then I said, by your stripes, Lord, I am healed. You took me out of there. You left that tumor there. You brought me back out. And by God, that tumor's gone. The next day, I met with the good Jewish doctor and the young surgeon. And they were in the next room, and I heard them talking. And I could hear them asking to see the x-rays again and then talking some more. And then he came in. He said, I can't explain it, but it's gone. I said, really? He said, yes. I didn't cry again because I already knew it. But it sure feels good to hear it after you know it. If you have a disease out there today, I believe right now, right now, not because of who I am, but because of who he is and what he did, I believe right now that you can leave that disease right back where it belongs again in hell. Diseases are spiritual. They manifest physically, but they're spiritual. And even though when I was in that tomb of the MRI, I couldn't see what he did. I knew afterwards that he did it because of where he was. And I want you to receive that right now. Wherever you're at, I want you to receive the healing of God and receive it for somebody else. He's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And he took away our diseases. Well, we don't want to leave them in hell, do we, with this time together? We want to take the journey out of hell with him. Colossians tells us that he spoiled the principalities and powers in hell. Would you like to know how that happened? Some of you do, if You've been with me before and you've heard some of these teachings, but for those of you who haven't, and even those of us who know, let's consider this. Paul cried out, Philippians 3.10, remember, that I might know him, know who? Christ. And know what? The power. Say the power, the power, the power, the power, the power of his resurrection. There's a power in the resurrection that Paul said we must know, he must know, because he knows that that's how we overcome. And then the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, for the longest time I thought the fellowship of his sufferings was something difficult and wrong and painful and Yes, it is when we consider what he did, but it's not when we consider what we get. When I fellowship with his sufferings, I realize he took my diseases. I realize he took my sins. I realize it because he did what he did. I am who I am. And so now I gladly fellowship with his sufferings. And then he says conform, but a better word would be transform to his death that we might transform. And so here it is. I've often asked the question. Some of you know the answer. Some of you do not. If you want to know the power of his resurrection, then you have to know the source of where the power came from. He was in hell. He cried out. Read Psalms 88. He, he had no power at that moment. He was forsaken. He was burdened down with all the sins of the world. He was in the deepest 
part of hell, it says. No light, no voices. But he had said a prayer. He said a prayer that is recorded by John in chapter 17, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Verse 5, he says, Give me back the glory that I had with you always. Ah, where's the glory? You see, because the glory is the essence, it's the power, it's the God stuff. He had to give it up to become man. And then he goes onward into prayer. And he says, Father, I pray that they be one. Now remember, this is through the eternal spirit. This is before he goes to the cross. This is on his way to the cross. And what he says is, I want them to be one. This is all about them becoming one with us, Father. This is the redemption of your creation a fallen man. This is so that once again we can be the father and his family. Father, I'm going to do it. But here's my prayer to you. Hear my prayer. First, he says, give me back the glory. Hold that thought. And then he says, I pray that they be one, even as we are one. Me and you, you and me, we and them. Ah, the time is coming. Something's going to happen. There's going to be a fullness of the Godhead in the fullness of his creature. And then he says this, and I give them the glory that you've given to me so that they may be one. The glory, the glory, the glory. Here he is in hell. He says a prayer. He leaves that prayer resting on the altar of the Father. That's why he said, I commend my soul into your spirit. Because the prayer was in the spirit. Some have taught that immediately when he gave up the ghost on the cross, he went to be with the Father. No, 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 no. His prayer was with the Father. There had to be a punishment for sin. And the soul that sins must die. And the wages of sin is death. God's word is true both from Ezekiel and from Paul. He parks the prayer with the Father. He tells us in John 10 that this is why the Father loves him, because he lays down his life and he will take it back up again. So he willingly laid his life down, but he also says, I will take it back up again. But yet he cries out in Psalms 88, where are you, Father? I need you. I'm desperate. Don't leave me here to rot in hell. <laughs> Paul gives us the answer. He tells us that Jesus Christ in Romans was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. By the glory of the Father. Father, give me back the glory that I had with you always. And I'm sure the father said to him in that prayer, yes, son, I will. That's what he took to the cross with him. The father's going to give me back the glory. And so he was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, but then it tells us again in Romans 6, but the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you. And if it does, it quickens your mortal being. Ah. Why? Because he dealt with the disease and the sin issue spiritually. And now you can be quickened by the glory. The same glory from the Father that raised him from the dead dwells in you, the glory of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so who raised Jesus from the dead? What is the power? The glory of the Father, ministered by the Holy Spirit, commanded by the words of Jesus Christ, the three in one. What's our power? The glory of the Father, the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus. That's the power of his resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead with a burst of power, 
It says he spoiled the principalities and powers. Close your eyes and see him throwing them off. I don't think it was much of a battle. I don't think they could withstand the glory of the Father for one iota of a wink. He threw them off and he took the keys. He took the authority. He took the power. He said, now I have the keys to heaven and to hell. Interesting thought I had yesterday while I was praying. I think this will embolden you and make you happy and teach you what kind of a warrior you are or could be. You're a powerful warrior in the kingdom of God. When Christ went to the cross and when the Father turned His face on Him because of the sin between the sixth and the ninth hour and the whole world went dark, there were no warriors on earth. There was nobody there standing in the gap and praying with any power. Not a one. And all the angels were told to stand down. Jesus said, I could call legions of them, but I won't. Jesus, he had the authority to call the angels, but he stood them down. He said, I'm going to get to that cross and finish my work. Don't get in the way. Oh, how the angels must have been confused. Because this was the mystery of all ages. This mystery wasn't known to anyone but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. No one else knew it. Not the angels in heaven and not Satan in his kingdom. The angels stood down. Nobody had the power of the Holy Spirit. But guess what now? Now you have the full authority of the kingdom of God. Not only do you have the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and all the fullness of His glory in you, but you also have the entire kingdom of His angels at His command for you, and you and I are a massive, powerful army here on earth. We can declare in the name of Jesus, and every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We can tell demons to leave and go, and they must leave and go. We can speak to diseases to be healed in the name of Jesus. We have power and the fullness of his power. Oh, yes, we rose with him from the dead, and he has now made us a kingdom of kings and priests, kings with power and authority and priests before the kingdom of God. That's who we are. That's who you are. I'd like to invite our worship team back up and I'd like us to prepare for communion. If you need a moment and a pause to get a communion element, do it. A couple weeks ago, we've been having communion every Sunday and I like it. <laughs> and it's a good thing to do, especially, isn't it, on Resurrection Sunday. It's a wonderful time to celebrate our fellowship with him because we've just fellowshiped with him from before the cross to the cross to hell and back. Now we want to celebrate it as he told us to. So go get something. Get an element. I had one brother call and tell me that he really didn't have anything available so he grabbed, I don't know, it was a cracker and he didn't have any juice, so he used some prune juice. I don't know what he did. That's fine. Use what you have. God knows. It's the Spirit. We're not just communing with him in the physical realm with normal bread and normal wine. It's through the eternal Spirit. And so as we communion with him today, I want you to put your soul at rest. I want you to extend your faith. I'd like to ask you. I'd like to implore you. I'd like to invite you to have an experience with Jesus like you've never had before. He's coming. Jesus is coming back. I don't know if we'll ever have a Resurrection Sunday like this again before he comes. I don't know. 
I don't know if people will be shut in their homes all over the earth. I don't know if the earth will be crying out against a plague, an invisible enemy. (laughs) I don't know. I tend to think so. But this is, if you're alive today, the first communion you've ever had where there's no distractions. Stop them right now. Don't miss the moment. Receive it. Now, if you're listening today or tomorrow or whenever you play this, and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, whatever you do, don't make it complex. It's not complicated. (laughs) Thank God he simplified it for me. And he just told me he was. And when I said you are, I believe it all began to fall. It's that simple. I believe. I want to invite you and whoever else is listening to join me as we pray. Pray for the souls that are lost because hell is real. Heaven's real. Jesus is real. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's not one who's an earshot of what I'm saying right now that can say that I don't need Jesus. It's a choice we make, yes or no. But it's not like many decisions that don't have consequences that are big. This is an eternal consequence for who knows There are people that aren't alive today that were robust just two weeks ago or yesterday. This is the time. This is your time. I'd like you to pray with me. I believe in God the Father. I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came to earth and was sinless. I believe that he was crucified. And I believe he descended into hell. I believe he took my sins and diseases I believe that he's my deliverer. I believe that he arose and that he's now with the Father and he's my Lord, my Savior. And by his blood, my sins are washed away. Three words changes your word right now. Three words. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me.